Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info at Well, good morning, everyone. How are we? All right, nice. It is good to be back. My name is Dwayne. Uh, if you have not remembered, but uh, I was out for about five weeks on paternity and uh, just kind of navigating life with three kids at home and kind of playing the zone defense thing and uh, really just considering duct taping one of them to a wall and that might help out some things, but probably not the best strategy to do, but uh, we are doing well, but we are glad to, uh, or at least I'm glad to be back and, and with a couple of the boys, um, be praying for Kelsey as she's still at home. Uh, with with the infant and just we're figuring him out and so he's he's a joy though um, we are uh, going to take two weeks to kind of do a couple of standalone sermons um, again just to kind of for for this week give you an update uh, it's crazy that 2020 is half over um, and for many of you you're probably like that's a loud amen already um, and just cannot wait for the rest of it to to just move on as well um, but it is in our midst, and, and as we walk through Ecclesiastes, there is a time for everything, and there is a season for everything, and so 2020 is here, and it's here for a reason, and so we're just going to make the most of it, and so we're going to look at some, some kind of updates uh, for the district church today in light of what's been going on with 2020 and, and kind of, again, some of the major headlines that we've seen um, going on this year and, and kind of what our response as a church is going to be over the coming months. And kind of one of the things that I want to do in prefacing that is first just understanding that we know and are fully aware of what is going on in 2020. Um, we, we know everything from the social injustices uh, to the um, just racism that's going on to uh, obviously uh, COVID, what's going on there. Um, everything going on from kind of the Jumanji levels of murder hornets and now bubonic squirrels and and everything that's going on. Yes, I'm done. That was just new headlines this week. But um, we we understand that it's it's chaotic. It's it's going crazy, and because of that, we also know that maybe some of our typical rhythms and practices that we do as a church, kind of our methods that we implement in order for disciples to be made and for God to receive glory. We know some of those methods are going to have to shift and change. Obviously, one of those was a big one right when the pandemic hit and we had to go on lockdown was we don't do online church. Um, that's never been one of kind of the priorities of the district church, but we had to shift and, and work it out and create it. And yeah, we're not providing the best streamlined um, option for any type of online church. I mean, if you're at home right now, I apologize. You're probably seeing the little black glitches every few minutes. Um, and at the same time, it's just not perfect, you know, streaming. But at the same time, we're doing our best with what we have as far as resources. And we had to kind of pivot and provide that for our people who are at home right now. At the same time, we had to kind of socially distance what it looks like in here for us to be able to gather back together. And also knowing that this might have to go away again at some point. Probably not necessarily if, but when. And so there's going to be times in our seasons that we're going to have to kind of be fluid with our methods as a church. And so what I want to do today is just kind of share with you um, not a redefining of our mission as a church, because to be completely honest with you, nothing about our mission has changed. Nothing about the mission of the district church has changed. We still exist to glorify God primarily by making disciples. And the way we make disciples is through gospel-centered worship, gospel-centered community, gospel-centered service, and gospel-centered multiplication. We see those kind of four buckets as the discipleship traits that are woven throughout all Scripture, that if you go through and pick out all of the discipleship traits that you find in Scripture, you can drop them into those buckets where a disciple worships Jesus with all of his heart, mind, and soul. A disciple belongs to a community of believers. The people of God, the church, belongs there finds community there, finds relationship there, finds accountability there, finds rebuke there, finds encouragement and edification there, finds all of those things because they're a part of a body. It's not a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It's a public community relationship with Jesus Christ in which we are with one another. 
Literally seeing 59 one another's in the New Testament of how we are to live that out. So we're involved in community. We belong. And then we are also not about ourselves, but about others. Therefore, we are about service. We are about serving one another. We are about considering the interest of others so that we can exhaust ourselves and pour ourselves out for their benefit and their gain rather than our gain and our benefit. And then in addition to that, we see that disciples multiply. Disciples make disciples. You share the good news because the good news has come to you and it's been good news. Like there, there's, I've never met a person who's received good news and did not tell someone about what that news was. Did not go and express it in some way. Did not go and tell someone, you've got to know what happened to me. And so the, the greatest news that we'll ever receive is not that we're going to get a stimulus check. It's not that we're going to have um, a, a, a raise or a promotion in our job. It's not that we're going to keep our job during this time. The greatest news that we're ever going to receive is the good news of Jesus Christ that He has come to seek and to save those who are lost, to provide forgiveness for sinners, because as Romans 3 says, we are all sinners. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. There's not one of us that God would look at based on our own work, on our own merit, on our own ideologies, on our own views, on our own um, gumption, whatever you want to put into it. There's not one person that God would look at and say, man, you deserve to be in heaven because of all that you've done or all that you've said or all that you've thought. No, He looks at every single one of us and He says, there's not one who pursues me. There's not one who looks for me. There's not one who worships me. And so therefore, He sends Jesus. And He sends Jesus to not only absorb the sin and the penalty of that sin and the wrath due that sin, He sends Jesus to absorb that. And as Jesus absorbs that, Jesus then gives us, grants us His own righteousness, His own perfection. So that when God now looks at you, He doesn't look at you as though no one is righteous, no, not one. He now looks at you as though you are righteous, that you are a saint, that you are as Christ is, and therefore welcomes you into His family, not only just as a judge pardoning you of your sins, forgiving you and letting you go free from the courtroom, but in that courtroom He is also signing the adoption papers where He is then bringing you home as your heavenly Father. I mean, that's the good news of the Scripture. That's the great news that we literally, and that's why we, we say gospel centrality is so important to us because it's gospel-centered worship, gospel-centered community, gospel-centered service, gospel-centered multiplication, because the gospel by definition is the good news. It's that good news that fuels our worship. It's that good news that provides the context for our community. It's that good news that then overflows into the service that we give to others because in Christ we have all that we need. Therefore, we don't need anything else. Therefore, we are able to empty ourselves. We're able to be radically generous with our resources. We're able to be radically generous with our time because we're not consuming our time by filling up a bunch of things in order to serve ourselves, but rather we're freeing ourselves of those things so that we can then spend that time by serving and investing in others. It's because it's centered in the good news. And then because the gospel is the spreading of good news, as Habakkuk 2.14 says, like God's goal is to get His glory to spread over the earth as the waters cover the sea. That's His goal. That's the mission of God is to spread His glory. And the way that He spreads His glory is by this good news. It's by this gospel. And so multiplication happens when we're understanding and living out the implications of the gospel for our lives. That's what he's doing. So that mission has not changed. And it's going to continue to be that for as long as the district church continues to exist, which in two weeks we will be celebrating our fourth anniversary as the district church. And so we will have a, celebra a celebration of sorts. Um, we're going to get creative with it and we'll kind of lay all that out for you uh, next Sunday, what that's going to look like. But we will celebrate our fourth anniversary, fourth birthday of the district church. So that's the mission of the church. Nothing's changing there. That then flows into the vision of the district church. And the vision is kind of the how-to. 
If that's the why, why we exist as a church, why we do ministry, why we are what we are, the vision is then the how. The vision is, okay, how do we actually, like, how does that rubber meet the road? How do we actually then have ministry form so that disciples are made and God is ultimately receiving glory? Because the vision of the church is what ultimately serves to execute the mission of the church. And so these are our priorities and practices that will ultimately produce God-glorifying disciples of Jesus Christ. And so I'm just kind of I'm, I'm just going to walk down through these. Um, the first one is the one that I'm going to spend the most time on because I believe it is the one that is most important for us in, in, in all areas of life, in all contexts of life. The first one is, um, as far as a vision, a practice, is what we refer to as the ministry of the Word. The ministry of the Word. God's Word has always been, always been His chosen instrument to create, convict, convert, and conform His people. It's literally the mode and method that He uses from the very first announcement of the Gospel in Genesis 3.15 to the initial word of promise to Abraham in Genesis 12, 1-3 to His regulation of that promise by His word in the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20. God gives life and health and holiness to His people through the agency of His Word. From the reforms under Josiah in 2 Kings 22 and 23 to the revival of God's work under Nehemiah and Ezra in Nehemiah 8 through 9 to that great vision of the valley of dry bones in Ezekiel 37, 1 through 14 where God breathes the life of His Spirit into dead people through the preaching of His Word. God always sends His Word when He wants to renew life in His people and assemble them for His glory. It's the preaching and proclaiming of His Word. The way God works is through the agency of His Word. He even says this as much in Isaiah 55, 10-11. Listen to this. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. So when we think about God's entire mission, the way in which He accomplishes that mission is by the spreading of His word, the agency of His word. The New Testament witnessed, um, the New Testament also provides witness to just the preeminence of God's word in his method. And it's just very obvious. Matthew 4, verse 4, but he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Therefore, the word sustains us. In the beginning was the word, and in him was life. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. John 1, 1, verse 4 and verse 14. Jesus the Word was made flesh, and Jesus, the embodiment of the Word of God, is the ultimate life incarnate. And so when we think about what is ultimately going to provide life to people, is Jesus. Jesus is also, as Scripture is talking about, the Word of God. So when we say we're preaching the Word, what are we pre we're preaching Jesus. We're proclaiming Jesus. We're declaring Jesus. We need to get Jesus into the ears, hearts, minds, and souls of every person who is alive and technically spiritually dead. And then we see in Acts 19.20, the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. Therefore, the word grows and the word fights. We see in Acts 20, verse 32, and now I commend you to the word of His grace which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. So therefore, the Word is what ultimately builds us up and preserves us. It's the Word of God that builds His church. It's not our programs. We see in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the Gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. You see, the Gospel, God's clearest expression of His Word is His effective power for salvation. 
It's not based on your eloquence. It's not based on how well you can debate somebody. It's not based on how well you can manipulate somebody into believing something. No, it's the power of God for salvation is the gospel, His word being declared. We see in Romans 10, 17, so faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. So God's word is that which ultimately creates faith for us. Faith is not something laid dormant within you from when you were born. When we're born, we're considered completely depraved. We're considered spiritually dead. There's nothing within us that we can kind of cling on to. And when Jesus provides us some good news, we're able to say, look what I'm bringing to the table. I've got a little bit of faith that I can now cling on to whatever it is that you're providing for me. No, guess who provides the faith for us as well? Jesus. So that at the end of the day, in salvation, no one can boast except Jesus Christ. He's the one who has done all of the work for us. The only thing we have to bring to the table of our salvation is the sin that we bring to it, therefore us needing the salvation on the table. We then see in 1 Thessalonians 2.13, when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. Therefore, the word is what's performing God's work in believers. Man, that, that's, that's like extra good news for me. Because when I became a believer, one of my thoughts in becoming a believer was, man, Jesus did all of this in order to save me and forgive me. That's amazing. Now that I'm a Christian, I got to do all these things in order to try to be a good Christian. I got to try to do all, I mean, I can't even do the 10 commandments, much less the 613 commandments that there actually are in the Old Testament. And then I couldn't even accomplish those. And so now I'm looking at the Sermon on the Mount because I'm like, let's just, let's just do away with the Old Testament. Let's not worry about that. All right, we're forgiven. Let's just look at the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus' first sermon that he declared in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 and let's just try to follow that. And Jesus is taking the Old Testament law and putting it on steroids by saying, not only should you commit adultery physically, but you should not look at a woman in lust. Whoa, 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 whoa. Now you're trying to get into my mind and my heart? No, that's not, that's not okay. Like, not only should you murder someone physically, but you should not have anger in your heart towards them where you think, I really hope that bus hits them when they walk across this street right now. No, like he's internalizing everything that was external from an Old Testament perspective because he's revealing to the core of us that we need forgiveness, that we need his gospel, that we need his good news. And so there's nothing that we can actually do to better ourselves. But it's when we're submitting to the word of God and allowing it to do its work within us, we actually become more like Christ. For the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Hebrews 4.12 And God's Word convicts. God's Word's alive. Like th This is like the only book. Technically, it's a library. It's 66 books. It's the only library of books of content written that someone can say is actually a living thing. That it's not just words on a page, but as you read these words and as the Spirit of God is working within our hearts and our minds, it's bringing it to life within us so that it is then allowing us to lay aside of our old selves, to throw it off that which is entangling us, and to put on Christ so that when we are finding ourselves in situations on a daily basis, do I sin or do I worship Jesus? because of the Word of God that is implanted within us, that is working and moving within us, that is reminding us of who we are in Christ, not who we used to be outside of Christ, we are then able, with that power within us, say no to sin and yes to Jesus. 
We can't do that if we don't have the Word of God working within us, if we don't have it living within us, if we don't have it active, sharpening, literally getting down to the joints and marrow and piercing the intentions of our hearts to be able to say in that place, don't do this, do this. Don't trust this, trust this. Don't believe that this is going to provide satisfaction. Believe that this will provide satisfaction. And then we walk in it. We see in James 1.18, in the exercise of His will, He brought us forth by the word of truth. God's worth gives us the new birth. James advises a little later in verse 21, in humility, receive the word implanted which is able to save your souls. The Word saves us. Peter also claims regenerating power for God's Word in 1 Peter 1, 23 and 25. For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is, through the living and enduring Word of God. And this is the Word which was preached to you. So there's creating, conforming, life-giving power in God's Word. And the gospel is God's way of giving life to dead sinners. It's also His way of giving it to dead churches. When churches lay aside the ministry of the Word by providing in streamlined, mainstream programs to try to win people over, I 100% believe they cease to be a church. Because if the Word is not primary... And the main priority, then all they are just kind of a social club. All they are just a group of people getting together around some ideas of things that they think are going to be fun. And then that's when you start getting like Spider-Man's climbing the walls and like all kinds of different things where, where churches are trying to do all they can to get people to come into the doors. And they're trying to break down these barriers in order for people to come in and, and hear some kind of word that might be preached. But what we ultimately see there is the same thing that you win people to is the same thing that you're going to lose them to. And so if you've got this very kind of, let's set this to the side and let's try to create these, this environment that's going to welcome people in in order for us to then maybe give them some Jesus at some point, but we don't want to give them too much Jesus because we don't want them to be offended. We don't want them to know that the first thing Jesus actually came out and said was repent for the kingdom of heaven is here. Stop doing what you're doing that's wrong. I'm providing a design and a way of life that is right and good. It's called righteousness. What you're doing is unrighteous and deserving of hell. So repent, stop. I'm bringing good news to you. I'm telling that your way is wrong and your way of doing life is ultimately going to lead to your destruction. I'm bringing good news. But when we try to water that down and set the word to the side, we actually don't give anybody anything of worthwhile. The Word has to be central. If we want to work for renewed life and health and holiness in our churches, then we must work for it according to God's revealed mode of operation. And here's the reality too. You cannot divorce the method of God, His Word, from the Trinity of God. And what I mean by that is that there are people who would say, you know what, outdated, um, it's not necessarily situational to what we're going through today. This is kind of on the wrong side of history. You know, we're kind of redefining our history. We're kind of redefining our cultural norms. We're kind of redefining everything that we think is moral. I mean, there is right now a high kick on morality. And to the point that no one is safe from having any kind of judgmental or having any kind of, let's see what's in the closets, having any kind of, if you say the wrong thing or if you're not politically correct or whatever it is, we are on a high moral kick right now as a country. But by what standard are they defining morality? If we're laying this off to the side, then all it is is relative moralism. All it is, is is really just what we kind of, as, as theologians put out there, moralistic therapeutic deism. 
It's what I believe to be right and wrong that makes me feel good. And whatever makes me feel good, that becomes my God, which I'm going to serve. And therefore, if you disagree with that, well, then let's have 736 comments on Facebook. And let's never actually invest in one another's lives. Because we really don't care. All we care about is what we think is right and wrong. And so what we've seen happen, and this is even, I believe, happening within the churches, is we've set aside the true, like God's, this isn't just God's like roadmap for life. This is God's standard of righteousness. What I mean by that is, is some people are saying, you know what, the Bible was good for a long time, but now I'm Holy Spirit driven. I'm all about what the Spirit's doing. Whatever He's doing, I want to do that. And the reality is, is the Spirit of God is never going to contradict or go outside of what God's Word is providing for us. And God's Word is never going to go outside of who the, 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 uh, the person of Jesus Christ is. Those three are never going to contradict themselves. So as we have the Father who is inspiring the Word of God to be written by over 40 authors amongst 66 different books over a span of 3,500 years, everything that He is inspiring to be written never contradicts the Father, never contradicts Jesus Christ, never contradicts the Holy Spirit, never contradicts the mission in which they are, they are ultimately executing and God's glory getting out and spreading. And it never goes against it being the best and greatest news for us, which ultimately transcends every cultural um, every ethnic diversity, every multiracial movement that you can possibly think of, anything and everything that we create on this side of heaven, the Scriptures provide the best news for that situation. And it provides the best news for every sinner who's ever been born. And so for us to say, I'm all about the Holy Spirit and not about the Scripture, means I don't know who the Holy Spirit is. What it actually is saying, I'm more about my moralism, which becomes my therapy, which then becomes my God. Because listen to the role of the Helper of the Spirit. John 14, 26, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Now who's this speaking? This is Jesus. Jesus is saying, I'm going to send the Helper to you. And yes, the Helper is going to teach you. What's He going to teach you? He's going to teach you everything that you are supposed to remember from Me that I taught. And who's Jesus? Jesus is the full representation, embodiment of the Word of God. He is the living Word. So the Spirit is going to teach and bring remembrance everything that is the Word. That is Jesus. We also see in John 15, 26, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, He will bear witness about Me. So who's the Spirit going to be talking about the whole time that He's here? Jesus. That's all the Spirit of God cares about is getting Jesus known. And who is Jesus? The Word. And does the Word ever contradict anything that Jesus is? Absolutely not. So what's the Spirit going to push us to? The Word of God. He's not going to push us to any type of, oh, I've got this like new revealed thing where the, like the, the, the Spirit is just giving me a word right now and I want to share this word with you. Well, if that word is not filtered through Scripture and in line with Scripture, then whatever they're about to say is probably just some kind of euphoric thing that they had at Taco Bell. And that's a real poor analogy, but... It's whatever, whatever is like just making them feel good in the movement or in the moment. Like, I, I've just got to share this. I've got a good word for you. I think you should do this. I think you should do this. That's why it's so important for us to be grounded in the Word of God because we are called to edify and encourage one another and provide words to each other. But let's make sure that those words that we provide to one another are not based out of our creative moralism, but it's based out of God's standard of righteousness. You also see in John 16, 7 through 15, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. Jesus is still speaking here. For I do not go away. 
For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Guess who does not have to convict the world regarding sin and judgment and righteousness? You! Man, like when did the church all of a sudden adopt this mentality that we got to be the ones to convince people that they're idiots? That's not our job. Our job is expressing good news concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer, concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. All we have to do is give people Jesus and that will reveal to them their imperfections. Because when you put perfection next to imperfection, which one gets revealed is wrong. Every single time. The imperfection. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. For He will not speak on His own authority. I love that. The Spirit is God and is choosing not to speak on His own authority. That also kind of sounds like Jesus in Philippians 2 when He says, I'm going to lay aside and I'm going to humble myself and I'm going to submit. We see this mutual submission within the Trinity of God where they're trying as best they can, as perfect as they do, making the other look better. Man, if we would only model that ourselves. He will speak. He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me. For He will take what is mine and declare it to you. Jesus kind of is, is you could, if you just look at that surface level, kind of sounds a little arrogant there. He's not going to speak on His own authority. He's going to speak on whatever is mine. And then He goes on, all that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that He will take what is mine and declare it to you. He's immediately remembering that what's mine is not just mine. It was given to me by the Father. So all that is the Father's has been given to me. And all that is mine has been given to the Holy Spirit in order for Him to declare it and preach it and proclaim it to those who You have given to me, Father. As you read that, this is, this is Jesus in John 14, 15, and 16. And then you see Jesus in John 17 move to praying. And what does Jesus ultimately pray for? Is not only is He praying for His 12 apostles, but He is also praying for those that would be given to Him, which is including us. And what is He praying for us to be given? All that is His. What is His? The Father. The Holy Spirit. Himself. The Word of God. He's praying for that to be the thing which comes to us as ultimate good news. Therefore, preaching the content and intent of God's Word is what unleashes the power of God on the people of God. So the primary, the number one priority for us as a church is going to be the ministry of the Word. And honestly, if you think about it, every program that exists within the district church, every other ministry that exists within the district church is there primarily so that we get the Word of God into you more. We have little district. Not as glorified babysitting, but it's there with its own lessons to be able to teach the Word of God age-appropriately to our children as old as zero. Because we know it's the best thing that they need. It's what they need for the rest of their life. And so we create classes that are age-appropriate. Same thing with our institute. Our institute is going to continue to ramp up to be spiritually appropriate maturity levels of information in order for us to get the Word of God in you in a way in which we comprehend as the Spirit of God is driving that understanding for us. The Institute is there for us to grow in the Word of God. Community groups. You think community groups are designed specifically just for you to get around a bonfire and enjoy laughs with one another? No. 
You cannot have community without the word. Like, and when I say community, you cannot have true, biblical, authentic community without the Word of God ushering you into true, biblical, authentic community. You can have a group of friends who enjoy the same thing for the rest of their life, but never grow deeper in relationship. The way in which we grow deeper in relationship is by the Word of God doing what it does. Convicting, conforming, changing us to be more like Jesus. And the way in which we do that, the context in which we do that, is not individually by ourselves, but in community. So community groups are driven and designed for us to get together and discuss what we're learning in the Word of God so that we can then begin holding one another accountable to the Word of God so that we can grow in the Word of God so that we become more like Jesus and less like ourselves. And when I say ourselves, I'm meaning our sinful selves. I'm not saying like, let's all create one personality and one like and all that. That's not what the Bible refers to when it says they had everything in common. We still have our personalities. We still have our likes and our dislikes. But those things become righteous. Those things become holy. And the only thing that gets us there is the Word of God. That then moves us into number two. And these will go a lot faster. Number two is the ministry of prayer. And I'll be honest with you, we have not done a good job in, in, in our leadership of driving our church in corporate prayer. We've included a lot of prayer within our Sunday gatherings, as you've seen that over the last few months. I love the fact that, that we're still including these even, um, not a joke because they're here, but those who aren't here being able to participate in our gatherings um, through video. We're going to continue doing that so that we can, again, have the church participating in the gathering. We've had a lot of prayer in that. But outside of that, outside of Sunday gatherings, we have not had a lot of structured time where we're creating rhythms of prayer for our people. And so what we want to do is we want to commit in this season the ministry of prayer. And honestly, these are the two, um, two primary things that you see right out of the gate at the forming of the church is the ministry of the Word and prayer. That's what the church was founded on. What were they doing before Pentecost happened? Were they out evangelizing on the corners of the streets and this and that? No, they were up in the upper room praying. Literally, God said, I'm not letting you go anywhere until you're prayed up. So don't do anything, just pray. And for us, we're kind of like, let's go out and do everything before we pray. And so we want to create a new rhythm of working in prayer where we're just going to be calling midday prayer. Um, it's going to be around midday. Uh, more than likely, it'll be noon. But around midday, we're going to work in a daily prayer, maybe five, ten minutes, where we're going to jump on. For those who are on social media, it'll probably be on like Instagram Live. For those who are not on social media, we will have our Google Meet up. We're going to get, you know, as, as you know, you know how techn technologically savvy Josh and I are. Um, so we'll probably have the laptop and a phone right next to each other, and, and we'll be streaming Google Meet and Instagram TV at the same time so that you can jump on, and we will have guided prayer times of about five to ten minutes every day on Monday, starting with beginning with God. Let's begin our week with God. On Tuesdays, we're going to be praying for justice. Justice in our communities, justice in our nation, justice in the world. We're going to be focusing on justice. On Wednesdays, we're going to be focusing on renewal. Just renewal. Sometimes for a lot of us, Wednesday happens, and we're just like, man, we're only halfway there. Like, like this, I, I, need, I just need some refreshment. I need something to kind of continue to get me through. So we'll have some renewal on Wednesday. On Thursday, we're going to be looking at gospel conversations, evangelistic fruit. We're going to be looking at like praying for opportunities around you to express that good news, that great news that God has given you to those who are around you. And then Friday, we're going to end with God. And so we're going to start this new rhythm. And what we hope is, is that as we're continuing to kind of gather our church around prayer, this also kind of spawns for you, sparks for you, this need for more prayer in your life. Because the reality is prayer shows our dependence on God. It's not a genie in a bottle. It's not let me pray so that I can get God to do this. But rather, prayer is let me align with what God is doing and therefore I can go and participate within it. That's what prayer is. 
And so the more we pray, the more we're able to see what God is ultimately doing, how He's acting, how He's answering, and then we will be able to continue responding and reacting as a church more appropriately and correctly because we see how God is doing it Himself. So we will pray. The third thing is relational discipleship. We're encouraging every member to be engaged in a discipling relationship. And we define a discipling relationship as two to three people regularly connecting to pray together, edify one another according to God's Word, hold each other accountable to sin, and encourage one another in God's abiding principles. And some of those principles we see worship, belonging, serving, multiplying, yes, reading Scripture, yes, praying, yes, confessing sin, yes, all of those things that you see in Scripture, that you see believers doing, that you see the Apostle Paul encouraging the churches to do this, those are abiding principles that lead us deeper into intimacy with Jesus rather than creating some type of legalistic, like, if I do those things, I'm no longer going to be spiritual because now I'm just doing a checklist of things. It's not a checklist of things. And if you're type A, Create a checklist. That's renewal for you because you love those kinds of things. If you're kind of more like, uh, like I'm a wing seven, like if you know what that is, which means I can like immediately lose structure and just be like, let's just do whatever we want to do. In those kind of arenas for me, it's like I'm going to popcorn prayer. I'm going to whenever I, like if I want to get down and read scripture, for me, it's not, let me just take 30 minutes a day and read scripture. No, it's like, you know what? I'll start reading and then like three hours later, I'm like, I just read Romans. That was great. Like, that was fun. Like, I'm going to maybe do that again, like in a couple of weeks. Like, it's, it's work it out with yourself, with you and the Holy Spirit as He's driving you with abiding principles. But here's the thing. It's not supposed to be done in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It's done in community. Everything we have is done in some type of community. We just want to take it a step deeper. And the reason why we we're taking a step deeper than just our community groups, because again, that's kind of been our context for discipleship. We want to take it deeper because not everyone is going to be participating in community groups in this season. Some are still going to be remaining home based on their conscience in this pandemic. For some of us, it might actually get to where it's imperative for us and mandated for us to do that. And if that's the thing, if that's the case, then guess what they can't do? Like this is, I'm kind of like reverse engineering this based on Jesus' ministry. He had his ministry to the masses, feeding five thousand people, feeding four thousand people, preaching the Sermon on the Mount on a mountaintop with a bunch of people all around him. He had those moments. Pandemic comes in. Okay, that's got to go. He's got Jesus with the twelve. Awesome, twelve. It can still get down to where it's ten or fewer. Okay, I can't spend time with the 12. Judas hasn't kicked it yet, so we're still waiting. We still can't do it with 11, so what are we going to do? Guess what? Jesus also had Peter, James, and John. He had Peter, James, and John that he spent even more intimate time where he invested in them in a specific way. And for us as a church, honestly, when we're talking about programming and measuring how we're growing as a church, that's going to be the one thing that we're going to look at for the next season of life. Is what is, or how are our people engaged in relational discipleship? Whether that's you finding one other person, and let's say, and, and I, I, we, we're not giving you like a, a map here. We're, we're literally just saying regularly connecting. If you have it in your schedule to do that two or three times a week, fantastic. If it's for you every other two or three weeks, Fantastic. As long as you are relationally in discipleship with at least one other person or two people or three people, keep it small so that we're not at risk of any other kind of like, you know, spreading something we shouldn't be spreading. Keep it small and intentional so that we can disciple one another. So that we can disciple one another. This really is at the core of what we are. Let's make disciples. All right, let's do that. That's what we want. Every person engaged in that. I'm not giving you a timeline, but start pursuing those relationships. Start pursuing those relationships. That then flows into ministry development. And ministry development is kind of the programming of the church. And yes, this is going to include things like communications because we're going to have to ramp that up for the sake that we don't see everybody on Sundays. We've been very informal with communications up to this point in the sense of, I'll just see them on Sunday, so I'll tell them about this event or this thing or whatnot. 
we've got to kind of streamline communications and bring those down to where it's a little bit more efficient getting out. So because of that, creating a communications team of people that are helping us get all of our communications out. That's going to look like graphic design, that's going to look like social media posting, that's going to look like uh, taking the email off of Josh's plate, that's going to look like, uh, you know, just a, a lot of different things. So a communications team, a hospitality team. If Brooke can't be here to set up on Sundays, we would love to have a team of, of people for him, to, to be able to set up things on Sundays. Someone brewing coffee, whose greeters at the front door, who's going to help us clean this place, because believe it or not, there are now three churches meeting in this room on Sundays. We're not the only one. So we're, we're, we actually have a meeting this week with um, the African-American church right across the street, uh, City Changers. They're going to start meeting in here while they're doing some renovations, but we're creating a relationship with them uh, to, to just see what ministry looks like. They're going to start meeting early afternoon, Josh, I think is right. And then there's another uh, church that meets late night <laughs> here on Sundays. So... All that to say, don't know how I got there. Hospitality, we got to clean everything. Uh, because there's other people using this space. So we need help with that. A new program, which I wouldn't say it's new, it's actually always been on our website. It's just we've needed the resources to be able to do this is something called city renewal. And city renewal for us, the way we define that is by helping build a team of people who care about community beautification, so how do we serve our community around us by stewarding it like the mandate that God gave Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden to do with the rest of the world what I did with Eden? That's the mandate to them. So we want to, how can we beautify our community around us so that it's beginning to look like Eden? Same thing along with that is the idea of justice and mercy ministries. Hot topic going on in our world right now. How does our church play a role in that? In addition to that, benevolence ministries. And benevolence is us helping to contribute to the needs of the saints and the community around us. So how do we take our resources and position ourselves in a way in which when those are in need, we contribute to them and we help them out? So that's the team of City Renewal. There's also administration and organizational operations. As I said, I'm an eight, but I really have a lot of seven tendencies, and so that means I don't have any organization. So we need that to happen. And you really see this as you kind of walk through Acts and you see kind of the first six chapters of Acts is the ministry of word and prayer being put on display. You, you then start to see kind of the breakdown of as the church grows and the complexities within a church, especially with this contribution to the needs of the saints, starts to break down, that's when they bring on deacons and deaconesses. That's when they bring on servants to be able to help the, the, the pastors and teachers to continue to devote themselves to the ministry of word and prayer. You start to see these other teams being built up around them to provide support for them in order for them to continue doing what God's called them to do. And so that's what we are moving towards within the district church is having a deacon or deaconess overseeing these ministry teams of people that they're managing and leading and providing coaching for them. And then those people are doing, as Ephesians 4 says, the work of ministry. The work of ministry. The next thing that we're going to look at, um, and, and last thing I'll say on that is, uh, hopefully um, in probably two weeks, maybe three, two weeks, uh, we're going to just kind of offer what we're going to call a ministry fair. And that ministry fair is going to say, here's all the positions available to serve. And so th there might be some leadership team vacancies. And then in addition to that, there's going to be of all the teams vacancies. And what we're going to be asking for is a 1 Corinthians 12 idea that the body is uh, one body with many members and every member has a function. And so find your function. We're just going to keep saying that. Find your function. For the coming weeks. I just came up with that. I like it, Josh. <laughs> the next thing after that, intentional community. We used to say authentic community, and again, that was the context of community groups. Because of the state we're in, we're focusing on intentional community. In every friendship, there's typically one person who does the pursuing, and there's one person who does the receiving, right? Especially when it comes to like text messaging. Why can't they just text message me every once in a while? 
Why can't they just be the one to organize the coffee shop date? Why can't they be the one to ask me how I'm doing? Why do I always have to be the one asking them how they're doing? That's just reality. But that doesn't mean it's okay. So what we're saying is intentional community. Don't wait for someone to reach out to you when it comes to edifying and encouraging and doing the 59 one another's to each other. Don't wait for a community group setting to do that. Don't wait for Sunday morning setting to do that. Be intentional on a daily basis. And, and again, this would be a great opportunity for every single one of us to dabble in a little bit of type A and write a list of people within our church and just schedule it out. Be like, on Monday, I'm going to text this person and see how they're doing. On Tuesday, I'm going to pray for this person. On Wednesday, I'm going to go and drop a gift off at this person's porch. I'm, I'm, like, like Write out a list of people and say, how can I be a one another to them? Intentional community. Outside of that, this kind of goes wrapping around to the ministry of the Word, but just biblical literacy. We don't want you to literally get um, complacent with just receiving the preaching of God's Word. We want you to be trained in being able to read it, study it, dissect it, meditate on it, all of that yourself. If you're only relying on us being the ones preaching it and proclaiming it to you, we become Roman Catholic. And that's never a safe place to be. I'm, that's not a knock on Roman. That's not a knock on Roman Catholicism. I'm saying that for me personally, if it's based on this, this is what holds us accountable to whether or not we're teaching anything outside. This is why we use the language. Jesus ruled, elder led, deacon served, member accountable. You know who the fact checkers are and the, the heresy checkers are in our church? Members. And believe me, over the last few weeks, it's been great. I've had people email me. And they usually email me. And these emails have been what I like to say, beautiful sandwich emails. They start off with a great positive. They provide the critique. And then they finish with a great positive. You do that every time, I'll, I'll respond, hopefully pretty soon. Unless I have a baby, and then, then it's like weeks, and it'll be a while before I get back to you. But those are great emails. That's how, that's how you can provide it. You can provide us feedback if you didn't know that. You can email us if Josh says something wrong. Absolutely. <laughs> the next one's engaging evangelism. Seeking opportunities to express to others why Jesus Christ is good news for them. I'll be honest with you guys. That's not been a hot topic in our church. It's not been a big priority within our church. Just engaging evangelism. Gospel conversations. It was kind of funny when, when our community groups went through the gospel primer um, last year. Uh, it was an eight-week study. And it, it kind of peaked. I was having a conversation with Waylon this week about it. It kind of peaked when we were sharing our stories. But you know where it dropped off? It dropped off when we then are supposed to take those stories and share them with other people outside of our church in a way of sharing the gospel and expressing the gospel and giving good news to other people. At that point, within the gospel primary, we were kind of like, yeah, this study's not that great. That's got to change. And so we're going to prioritize the fact that Luke 19, 10 says Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. We've got to have our eyes open for the lost that's around us. And just as Jesus sought them out, we've got to seek them out. And again, not to be those idiot Bible thumpers that's like, you're an idiot. It's just, to, it's just to tell them Jesus. Give them Jesus. Show them Jesus so that He can convict. Next one's radical generosity. I just got two left, okay? Radical generosity. And what I mean by radical generosity, we, we, we've been blessed that our, our members of the district church have been generous from when we started out. So much so that to our uh, fault, uh, we have not taught on like the, the essence of tithing and giving and generosity as a church. Like, we don't teach on that that often because we look at our, our, our stats and our people are generous. And, but that doesn't mean that we shouldn't teach on it. That shouldn't mean, like just, if you were a phenomenally engaging evangelistic church, does that mean we should never teach on evangelism? If we were doing community in a, such a beautiful way, does that mean we should stop teaching on community? No, we continue teaching on it because there's 
deeper levels of intimacy within all of the characteristic traits of a disciple that Jesus wants us to know and to abide in for our good and for His glory. And so radical generosity. Like we want to take God at His word when He says it's better to give than to receive. Investing radically into the mission of God to see the gospel spread further. I love what 2 Corinthians 8.2, the context of that was, out of poverty, a wealth of generosity flowed. I love that. Out of poverty, a wealth of generosity flowed. We're in a season right now where they're talking, I mean, literally every commercial that comes on, in a time of uncertainty. Jobs are uncertain, economy's uncertain, all of it's uncertain. And yet, that's, I feel like the entire Bible is situations and context in which there was never anything certain. But yet, in those moments, out of their poverty, the way in which they were growing in their relationship with God breathed out of them flowing generosity. Man, whatever I have, I'm just going to give it to you. Because I'm living off of God. I'm living off His Word. I'm living off of Him. That's all I need. I want to give radical generosity. And the last one's going to be kind of a fun one. Not to say that the others aren't fun, but creative restoration. Creative restoration. We are not blind to the fact that there are a lot of people in our church who are weary right now. Who are weary. Who need restoration. Who need rest. Who need renewal. And so we're going to be looking for opportunities to, um, not only as a church collectively, enjoy one another and grow together for the renewal and restoration of our souls, but we're going to be doing that through rest and play. Now, we're not going to go out and like, let's, let's have a flag football tournament and get all our hands on each other. <laughs> like We're not talking like that kind of rest and renewal, but we're going to be looking for opportunities to, as we are, especially in relational discipleship, we know so, so-and-so is going through a very difficult time. You know what? Let's provide, let's shift some resources in order to help them be able to, to watch their kids for a night and let them go have a hotel and just enjoy each other. That sounds kind of weird, but a, a, a nice place. But like just, or, or, or encourage one another um, to, to as, as Psalm 23 says, green pastures and still waters for the sake of the Lord. Like he leads us beside still waters. He makes us lie down in green pastures. Like right across a couple of blocks from where we live is Holiday Park. And it's got both green pastures and still waters that we could just go and enjoy. And there's just something about God creating his world that when we're in it and we're seeing it and we're enjoying his creation that brings renewal and restoration to our souls. And so how we can help our people get that into the rhythm of their lives is what we're talking about. Is helping them find some opportunities to be restored for the sake of Jesus in His name. And so our outcomes of that will be the word increased. More prayer, more disciples, more leaders, more groups, more understanding of His word, more salvation, more generosity, more flourishing, vibrant lifestyles. That's what we want to see in this next season of life as a church. Because all those things can boil down into us worshiping together, belonging, serving one another, and multiplying the gospel. And we can do all of those things if we're not in this room. We can do every single one of those things and not be in this room together. Now, I'm not diminishing what we're doing in here. This is the gathered church, the assembly. Love it. but we can still be the church mobile as well so that we're making disciples so that God is receiving glory. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for Your good news. And we thank You for what You have accomplished with Your news by saving us and bringing us into a family, a family with You as the Father a good Father, a heavenly Father, who provides for us all that we need and daily renews us, restores us. We 
by just simply presenting your son Jesus to us. It pleases you to reveal your son Jesus to us. And so, Father, we ask that as we look at these kind of priorities as a church, we ask that that would be the number one thing that we're focused on is Jesus. That's all about Him. All about Him and nothing else. Keep us there. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info at